On today's show, how Jabari Smith Jr. is getting more comfortable creating for himself and others as he had a career-high six assists against the New York Knicks. Why was Kevin Porter Jr. getting routinely torched by Emmanuel Quickly on Quickly's way to 40 points against the Rockets and some questionable journalism taking place over at ESPN with an article about Steven Silas breaking down into tears after a game this season that actually didn't happen. We're going to break down all of that and more coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shingun, and Jabari Smith Jr. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come, come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two... One. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin and the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe. I want your thoughts on a variety of things after today's episode. I want your thoughts on Jabari's progression and growth uh, as a ball handler, as somebody who can put the ball on the deck now and make things happen with it. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Kevin Porter Jr.'s game, the good, the offensive side against the New York Knicks, the bad, the defense, just non-existent against Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, just, it was bad overall showing. And then also... The big uh, smoking gun that happened with Steven Silas and some some inaccurate reporting from ESPN. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. As always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day. Let's talk a little bit about Jabari Smith Jr. and his performance against the New York Knicks. This was a game where the Rockets looked pseudo-competitive with the Knicks through the first half of play. I mean, they, they went in at halftime only down five, but second half, I mean, they just, at no point could the Rockets' defense get stops, right? And it was it was okay in the first half, and then second half rolls along, and they have no answer over the course of this game for Emmanuel Quickly, who scored 40. Julius Randle, you know, was getting, not I wouldn't say whatever he wanted. In fact, I thought Jabari actually did a decent job defending him when he was on the perimeter. But then there were a lot of opportunities that he got inside the arc uh, to, to convert. And it was just really tough for the Rockets to find a way to contain him. But I want to focus on Jabari and his impact in this game. Because we'll just roll through his, his box score really quick. I mean, at 14 points on 6 of 13 shooting, missed his only three-point attempt. He had seven defensive rebounds, four offensive boards, so a total of 11 rebounds. Uh, he had one steal, he had one block, but the thing that stood out the most to me in this game, Jabari had six assists in this game against the Knicks. That's a career high in assists for Jabari Smith Jr. He led the team in assists. And what I'm starting to see from Jabari now is there's a comfortability that he's playing with, right? Right. And some of that confidence that we talked about before in, in previous episodes about where he's at now with uh, his confidence as far as attempting shots and doing things on the court, that's starting to bleed over into his decision-making to where we're seeing him kind of decide what he's going to do before he even does it, right? It, 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 earlier this season, back in November, December, 
there was a lot of uncertainty in what he was going to do, right? He was overthinking things, not sure how he was going to attack or where he was going to go with the ball when he started to attack. And it led to a lot of sloppy play, right? A lot of, you know, a lot of inconsistency issues on the court. Now we're seeing a Jabari that understands exactly what he's going to do. When he, when somebody rushes to try and close out and run him off the three point line, he knows that he's going to take a one quit, like a one dribble and then pull up from long, you know, from long distance and take a long two or, Sometimes he's even attacking and driving all the way to the rim, bringing over a second defender and then making a really good kick out pass, either to a kick out to a three point shooter or a little shovel pass over to like LP or another big. There are moments when he gets an offensive rebound near the basket and immediately he's swarmed by, you know, a couple bodies, a couple bigs that are down low. And rather than trying to force up a contested shot, he does a quick little bounce pass or shovel pass to get it to the next open guy. There were a few moments in this game against the Knicks where there were maybe uh, you know, some plays that he was being a bit too unselfish, but you love seeing him be able to react to what defenses are doing to him and then making the subsequent right read. Now, am I projecting Jabari to be a primary playmaker one day? No, but it's good to see this development in his game, right? Where he just looks so much more comfortable attacking and doing things on the court, right? There's been moments where he's gotten the ball kind of, right, top of the key, and he's, like, waiting for the Rockets' offense to kind of run something or do whatever, and nothing materializes. So you know what he does? He's just getting to his comfort spots, right, either elevating right there without even putting the ball in the deck or just a, get a quick one-two dribble and then a pull-up or a one-two dribble and then a turnaround fadeaway. Or, again, the the, fa the most impressive part of his game, and this actually, we saw flashes of this earlier this season, is him actually putting the ball on the floor and getting all the way to the rim. And whether he gets all the way to the rim and he finishes or gets all the way to the rim and then makes a makes a really good read to somebody else, either a kick out for a three or, again, a little pass to whoever else is down low with him, be it Al P or Garuba or Tari or even a cutting KJ Martin, those reads are really important for him to be able to make. That way he doesn't get caught on an island where he, he picks up his dribble and then suddenly there's nothing there. So really, really impressed with Jabari in this game. The 6 of 13 shooting, uh, again, he only attempted one three-pointer, so he was you know 50% from the floor inside the three-point line. That's not bad, honestly, all things considered, for the type of shots that Jabari normally gets. And the other part of his game that has continued to really stand out is his ability to get big down low, right? Especially on the offensive glass, right? He had a putback dunk against the Knicks where you're just like, whoa, like, okay, Jabari, man-sized rebound, man-sized putback. Like, we were not seeing these types of, this type of physical play from Jabari earlier this season. And so him kind of coming into his own, being more comfortable on the floor, understanding where he can make an impact and how he can make an impact and how he can use his size, his strength, his body to get big down low, that's going to pay dividends down the line, right? Imagine Jabari next season with an added five or 10 pounds of muscle, the same way that Jalen came in bigger and stronger this season. And we're seeing him kind of reap the rewards of that now with him able to get to the free throw line more, absorb contact more, all of that. Imagine Jabari bodying guys down low and being even bigger and stronger than he is now. You add five to 10 pounds of muscle to his frame. Again, you project, you know, four or five years down the line when he's added another solid 20 to 25 pounds of muscle to this already ridiculous frame that he has, Jabari's going to be a monster 
one day. And it's going to be great to watch him grow and continue to develop with the Houston Rockets. Coming up, I do want to talk about Kevin Porter Jr. And, and by extension, the Rockets defense as a whole as they were unable to stop Emmanuel quickly who cooked them to the tune of 40 points on 14 of 18 shooting. We're going to talk about that in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. We're in the final stretch of the NBA season, and now is the perfect time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. You can also take a look at some of the odds available this NBA season. You can take a look at point scorers, different NBA awards props. You can even take a look at the final odds this year. Right now, the Milwaukee Bucks leading the way at plus 240. Boston Celtics at plus 330. You got the Phoenix Suns at plus 700. And then rounding out the top five, the Denver Nuggets at plus 800. And the Philadelphia 76ers at plus 1100 to win it all this season. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about Kevin Porter Jr. and the Rockets' defensive struggles here against the New York Knicks. Uh, Mixed bag for KPJ in this game because I was really, really impressed with, first off, how he bounced back from the Cavaliers game. Uh, obviously, he really struggled in that Cavs game, right? He was, you know, again, pretty emotionally charged, looked like he kind of wanted to show out in front of his former team, and that led to some really bad play, right? He kind of fell into some bad old habits. Now, in this game against the Knicks, offensively, I mean, he was really solid. He had 26 points on 8 of 14 shooting. He was 3 of 7 from long distance, 7 of 8 at the free throw line. He had 4 assists, a couple turnovers, but at one point at halftime, he had 11 points and 4 assists to no turnovers. Like, it was a really... Solid game offensively for Kevin because I felt like everything that he was getting was very much kind of within the flow of the offense. He wasn't forcing the issue a ton. Uh, he was just taking what the defense was giving him. And that's when I feel like Kevin is ultimately at his best when he's trying to facilitate for his teammates, which he probably could have done a little bit more of in this game, but it kind of felt like the Rockets as a team were moving the ball really well in this one. So that's, you know, I, I'm not going to fault Kevin because the team was moving the ball really well. You know, he was the guy who was getting these possessions started and then kind of starting the ball movement for the Rockets. So I'll give him the credit there. But defensively, man, it's... This was a nightmare game for for Kevin, mainly for Kevin, because Emmanuel quickly was his assignment. And it, it started off early, right? Emmanuel quickly was, was able to get hot in the early going of this game. And then once he started rolling, I mean, it was there was no stopping him. Again, quickly had 40 points on 14 of 18 shooting in this game. Just an absolute masterclass in scoring the basketball. He had nine dimes, too. I mean, Emmanuel quickly is a serious. NBA talent. And here's the thing. When you, the fact that they have him backing up Jalen Brunson is just such a, is insane depth at the point guard spot. But there was all like, so not only was Kevin struggling to guard him, but there were moments where like the breakdowns were just unacceptable. And and here's where I draw the line, right? A defensive breakdown is one thing. We see this Rockets team have defensive breakdowns all the time, right? It's going to happen. You're a young team. You're going to make mistakes. Mistakes are fine. 
lack of effort is where I've always harped on this team, right? Lack of effort. And sometimes Shingun has lack of effort. Sometimes Jalen has lack of effort. More often though, consistently, I see the lack of effort, effort from Kevin Porter Jr. Say I'm singling him out. You can say I'm being unfair to him. I'm trying to be objective in this. And I think I see it the most with Kevin. Because when he wants to, when Kevin wants to lock in defensively, he can be an impactful defensive player. One-on-one, man-to-man defense, when he's face-guarding a guy, like, Kevin can be a pretty solid defender. We've seen him go toe-to-toe with LeBron James in single coverage and actually do a decent job against him. It's all about whether he cares enough and wants to do it, right? So much about defense is about pride. So much about defense is do you want to play defense? If you want to play defense you will be able to play defense because it's all about wanting to. It's all about trying hard. It's all about hustle, effort, intensity, all of that. You can get away with lack of technique or being out of position on a rotation or not anticipating certain plays if you just try harder than the other team. Like so much of like the scrappy hustle, like pesky defender types that you think of in the NBA, they're not like the most elite or most athletically gifted or just defensive savants. No, they just get after it more than the other team does. And they're they're total nuisances, total pests because of it, right? That's my issue is Kevin has all the talent in the world He just doesn't consistently use it, both offensively at times and a lot of times defensively, right? Whether it's, you know, getting beat on a backdoor cut or getting caught up in what the officials, I I know I harped on it last game, but there was a play against the Knicks where Kevin was, it was either like, you know, baseline jumper or like in the corner attempting a three-pointer. He pulls up, he thinks he gets fouled, so he immediately turns and he's like complaining to the referees, like grabbing his arm. He's like, I got hit on the elbow, like, uh, like, you know, complaining for the foul call. The Knicks are immediately off to the races the other direction, right? And because Kevin is busy complaining about a foul call, the Rockets have a five-on-four disadvantage, and I forget whoever it was was ta- was on the wing trying to stop the ball, had to try and stop the ball, then the ball gets kicked to the corner, the defender jumps to the corner, and then the ball goes back. And I want to say it was Emmanuel Quickly who drained that shot, and that happened because Kevin didn't get back in transition. The number of times, and, and again, Kevin is not the only guy who's at fault when it comes to not getting back in transition, right? I, I shared... Plenty of frustration with Jalen, who complains about his fair share of calls. Al P, who is easily the worst on the team about complaining about foul calls. The official thing has to get out of their head. But transition defense is so much about just desire and attention to detail and wanting to get back, right? Like, if you just make it a make it a, a, a necessity to get back in transition, you can do it, right? There's a lot of possessions where the Rockets just don't hustle back in transition. And then they're matched up you know, wrong in transition. You've got, you've got, you know, a a guard matched up with a big, or you've got a big matched up with a guard. And then the other team is able to take advantage of that. Like it's, it's not fun, right? It's not fun watching that take place. And when you equate so much of that to effort, like, again, it's not about the defenses X's and O's. It's not about being in the right place at the right time. It's just transition defense is effort. And then actually wanting to body up to your man and play decent defense. The, the, you know, the area that was, really perplexing in this game with Emmanuel quickly is he was just bodying Kevin Porter Jr. There were literally back-to-back drives in this game. Same exact play where Emmanuel quickly drove in, 
gave Kevin Porter Jr. a bit of a shoulder, right? You know, it kind of checked him a little bit. And KPJ just went flying, like ze- like zero ability to stick with him, not trying to fight, th- not trying to put his chest into his man, not trying to hold his ground or anything. Just takes the bump, gets whistled for a foul, quickly goes up, gets the end one, and then comes back down and does the exact same play. Just drops his shoulder into Kevin a little bit, hits him with some of the body, forces him away. And Kevin's not in a defensive stance. He's not trying to slow him down or anything. It's just... At that point, that's just lazy defense. It is what it is. So it's a mixed bag because offensively, I was really impressed with how the game was going for him despite some of the defensive problems. But you can't just, you can't give up that easily on defense, right? And at that point, it very much felt like Emmanuel quickly got it going. And then because the Rockets very rarely, if ever, actually make defensive adjustments, they didn't start trying to, they didn't try to take the ball out of his hands. They weren't sending a double team at him. They were just content to let quickly keep carving him up in single coverage. And that was kind of that. So coming up, I do actually want to share a little bit, uh, one quick thought on Jalen Green and his performance against the New York Knicks, uh, as well as we're going to get to the latest Steven Silas saga story, whatever, out of ESPN, uh, some questionable journalism at play. We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Quick note here about Jalen Green that I wanted to chime in before getting to the whole Steven Silas saga that recently took place over the last 24 hours. Uh, Jalen's game against the Knicks felt pretty rough, all things considered. Um, 19 points, 4 of 11 shooting was one of five from long distance. But the silver lining here is that Jalen was still able to put up 19 points. How was he able to do it? He is learning how to get to the free throw line. This is the, I honestly can't decide which one has been more impressive this season. Jalen's increased ability to be a solid playmaker. Uh, he had four dimes in this one. Or Jalen's ability to get to the free throw line. I, I'm, I'm leaning towards the latter to say the ability to get to the free throw line is going to be just invaluable as he grows, as he gets better and better throughout his career, because that is the way that he can still find a way to be effective. Even when the three ball is broken, even when he feels like he can't get shots, whether it's because there's a rim on the basket where the interior defense is too much, or he's just getting locked down by a really premier wing defender, whatever it may be, free throws are the way to find a way to still be effective as a scorer when it feels like nothing else is going right. How many times have we seen over the, you know, the, eight some odd years that James Harden was in Houston, the almost decade that he was here, where Harden would just have a completely off game, right? Threes weren't falling, couldn't buy a basket at the rim, defense was locking him down, but guess what? He always found a way to still find a way to put up some points because he was able to get to the free throw line, right? Free throw merchant James Harden. Jalen Green understanding how to leverage his body, how to get his quick first step in there, initiate contact, force the referee to blow his blow the whistle. He's even getting pretty good at selling contact, right? There were a couple drives in the Knicks game where he drove the ball and immediately would make contact and kind of snap his head back a little bit, right, to really sell the call. He's getting to a point where he is forcing officials to blow the whistle, and that is going to be invaluable for a guy like that who projects to be the number one scorer on a contender one day, to to be a premier scoring threat in the NBA. You've got to understand how to manipulate defenses. And he's getting to that spot, right? He's getting to a place where he's understanding now not only how to attack defenses, but how to still get going, again, free throw line, when the rest of his game isn't really coming together. So with that, I do want to 
highlight here this this story, I guess, that has been running rampant uh, in the Rockets social media sphere over this past 24 hours or so. Uh, Steven Sile, there was an article, I should preface this, there was an article by Brian Windhorst of ESPN where he was actually discussing Jabari Smith Jr. Of, of all people. And inside said article, he had a quote, or I, I guess a, a specific quote about Steven Silas breaking down into tears after a game this season in which he felt like he couldn't reach the players. Now, this article dropped and everybody ran with it. Everybody's, you know, all the aggregation accounts, Legion Hoops, NBA Central, all the local aggregation accounts, everybody's running with this article, right? And then later, far later in the day, uh, ESPN issues a correction to the article. And the correction simply says, editors note, a line in today's story about Rockets coach Steven Silas breaking down in tears after a game this season was inaccurate. Silas got emotional at a news conference in 2021. Very specifically, the news conference in question here, oh, there goes my phone. Uh, the news conference in question here was actually the post-game presser during the Rockets' 20-game lose streak, losing streak where Silas did break down, right? Where Silas was seemingly inconsolable during that post-game interview and, you know, couldn't answer a question. So... First off, let this. There, there's a couple takeaways here. First off, um, I don't think the takeaway should be national media is garbage and clearly has no idea what's going on and yada yada. I, I think there was a, a failure here, but specifically by Brian Windhorst, and he has since issued an apology about his mix-up, albeit a very severe mix-up, because how do you mix up information that is over two years old? This is not something like, it's not like he took a soundbite from earlier in November and he's like, oh, this will make great. Like, yeah, Silas broke down after a conference in February. No, this was two years old that he referenced. A, a, you know, Silas breaking down in a post-game presser and made it seem like it was fresh and happened this season. And then two, it's worth considering and this is just like a weird angle here to think about, but Brian Windhorst made, you know, made a name for himself and really kind of rose up through the ranks 20-some-odd years ago uh, covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and was very, very close with one, Paul Silas. And Brian Windhorst has actually gone on his podcast and, and various podcasts and kind of started forming that, you know, oh, Steven Silas is a victim-type narrative. And it almost feels like this kind of, like, backfired in a weird way because the story was about Jabari Smith Jr., it, it really didn't feel like the quote about Silas breaking down into tears after a game needed to be included in the article. It's almost like there is some posturing being done here to kind of prepare for the offseason and to prepare for all the sympathy that is going to be directed towards Silas when he is inevitably let go as the Rockets head coach. Because that's kind of the angle that it's felt like Brian Windhorst has taken before in various podcasts and, and discussing what the Rockets look like and how disastrous this season and the rebuild has been is it feels like there's a narrative that's starting to shape about, oh, Steven Silas is a victim. Now, here's the problem is you can still feel bad for Steven Silas through all of this. I certainly do. I feel bad for Silas. He's a genuinely amazing dude, amazing human being. So kind, so empathetic very clearly cares about this job, cares about his players, all of the above, right? Doesn't mean he's cut out to be a good coach. Just doesn't, right? 
So you have this story, it's spun, all the aggregation accounts run with it, and then you get the editor's note, the clarification, the adjustment to the article to say, hey, our bad, we had the, the wrong piece of intel. So I do think it's worth noting here that, you know, the information that does get sourced, you know, whether it's a local reporter, whether it's a national guy, like, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have faith and trust in an organization that they're actually doing the right things and verifying what's going on. And in this case, it was definitely like Brian Windhorst dropped the ball. The ESPN editor, whoever edited that article dropped the ball by not fact checking things. And however, what's going to happen is I feel like there's going to be a certain sect of Rockets fans that run with this and start to use it as like the smoking gun for C, you should never listen to the national media. The national media has no idea what they're talking about, this, that, and the other thing. And I don't think that should be the case, right? This was a one-off occurrence, very clearly a mix-up, uh, you know, a case of some questionable journalism by, by Windhorst. But all things considered, like it was a mistake and credit to Windhorst. He owned up to it, albeit rather late in the game. And again, it sat there all day gaining traction and and doing the rounds and all the circles and it generating all the clicks. And then they went back in and said, oh, oopsie daisy, we messed up. So all in all, it's kind of frustrating and it just shows that the, the state of like, the state of media and like sports media, NBA media, whatever, is kind of in a catastrophic place right now because this... One line in the article, right, immediately gets aggregated to kingdom come by a million different people. And people are using it as their agenda to push against Steven Silas and say why he's not the right coach for the Rockets. People are using it to push and say, oh, this is why Steven Silas was dealt a bad hand and it's unfair and he should get another shot with a real roster and this, that, and the other thing. Everything is just like, that's the new buzzword in today's NBA media landscape, right, is agenda. Everything is so agenda-driven. And I really hate that because at the end of the day, whenever I share an opinion or a thought or whatever here on this podcast, I don't have any single agenda against any particular player on this rock. I want to see the Rockets be good. I want to see the Rockets do things that build a good environment. I want to see the Rockets do things that will ultimately build towards a winning culture. And when I see things that I don't think fit that mold, when I see things that are concerning, when I see things that I think are actively detrimental to that ultimate outcome of getting the Rockets back to the mountaintop where they're competing for titles once again, then I criticize those things. So at the end of the day, I would be ecstatic if every player on this Rockets roster, roster, uh, getting tongue-tied here at the end of the show, I'd be ecstatic if every player on this team, on this roster, every if every person, you know, member of the organization was phenomenal at their jobs and everybody was on the same page and things looked glorious and awesome and amazing, that'd be great if I didn't have any concerns about what was going on. But unfortunately, with the way things that with the way things have trended over these past three or so years during the rebuild, and with a lot of the evidence that we have stacked up that we've dissected and analyzed here at this very podcast over the years, there's just a distinct lack of confidence that I have at this current juncture that things are heading in the right direction. Again, big picture wise, I think they're actually still in a really good spot. I think they're in a really good spot. And this summer, this is going to be such a pivotal summer, man, because again, they could either be back to relevancy as early as next season, or if they make a bunch of really terrible mistakes this off season, then 
they could be stuck in NBA purgatory for the next three to five years, right? It kind of in that that Sacramento Kings, Washington Wizards area that no team really wants to be in, right? Thankfully, the Kings were able to break out of that area, and now they're the beam team, and they look incredible. But God, it was a rough 20 years there for the Kings, and I do not want to see that happen to the Houston Rockets. I don't. So that's where my frustration comes from, you know, as somebody who is Houston born and bred, grew up a Rockets fan, grew up with Stevie Franchise, Katino Mobley, the Yao Ming era, T-Mac, all of that through the, the middling era without James Harden, then the James Harden era. I just want to see this team be good at the end of the day. And so all of my thoughts and opinions and, and analysis about the team come from a place of, you know, I, I, I try to, I tend to look at things through a pair of red tinted shades. But at the same time, I also try to take those off from time to time and try to look at things as objectively as I can, which is hard. I fully admit it's it's really hard to separate one's biases at time. So at times, I should say. So with that, that's me getting on my soap bo- little little soapbox here about the NBA state of NBA media and the narrative that was spun around this story with Steven Silas and and all of this, that, and the other thing. So with that, uh, give me your thoughts. Let me know how you feel about Jabari's progress and his development. About how you thought Kevin did in the game against the Knicks, both the good, the offensive side, and then the bad, the defensive side. Let me know how you felt about that, and then give me your thoughts about the Silas situation in the YouTube comments. I read each and every one of those every single day. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.